say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. We are so excited for our guests today, Roan and Eva Hunter. Roan and Eva Hunter are best-selling authors and AACC World Conference speakers. They're both board-certified licensed professional counselors and certified sex addiction therapist supervisors. They maintain a private practice in Madison, Mississippi, with offices also in South Haven, Mississippi and Starkville, Mississippi. To be honest, guys, that was not a great intro because you've done so much more than just those things. But we are so grateful to have you guys on. Your book is so powerful that you just wrote. Yeah. We're going to have you talk about that. Um, but man, I just, I'm just so grateful to have you guys here. Thank you for being with us on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having us. Oh, yeah. Just, man, uh, great to sit with you guys and talk about uh, mutual passion. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you guys have it as well. And uh, it's just, um, it's certainly hard stuff to talk about, but it's also life-giving and kind of fun. Yeah. You know, I just want to say this first off. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what this is all about, man, this podcast is all about helping people understand restoration and really seek Jesus, because we believe, us four here believing that he is the one who restores, he renews, he rebuilds, he does so much work in our hearts. And it was cool praying with these guys and just realizing that, man, Jesus is the reason we're all sitting here. We wouldn't be here without him. I know you guys agree to that as well. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Why don't we start with just your guys' story? You know, we'd love to hear your guys' story of brokenness. I love how you talk about broken meets broken, so much more. Go ahead, guys. Take it away. Okay. Well, we, uh, Eva and I, uh, we grew up in a little small town in Mississippi. Uh, we always say there's really not anything else in Mississippi but small <laughs> towns. And uh, we were high school sweethearts. Um, and then 
we got married uh, in college and lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> well, don't we wish? Um, you know, I I grew up, we farmed, and um, uh, I had two older brothers that were four and five years older, and uh, mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old, and uh, that was um, my the first great um, tragedy or trauma in my life. Um and I just really began to kind of run with the wolf pack, my two older brothers and their four and five year older friends. And so I always say I was kind of raised by wolves. We didn't have a lot of parental uh, supervision. Uh, it was kind of like the wild, wild west. And um, we we survived and we figured it out. Um, my mother's attitude was uh, boys will be boys. Um it's kind of weird uh, growing up in Mississippi. Uh, we didn't go to church. Uh, everybody in Mississippi goes to church. That, that doesn't necessarily mean they're actually living the Christian life, but they go to church and we didn't. I always say I was part of the Easter Christian denomination, which is the largest one in the world, right? Um, we might go to church at Easter. And so the God piece in my life just was a not much there from a family standpoint. But I can look back and I can see, you know, God, um, his hand in my life, even through all the chaos, uh, there were different people and circumstances and things along the way. And then even I started dating when we were 15. Yes, around 15 years old. Yes. Um, Love at first sight. (laughs) You know, it really was kind of, there was definitely a lot of energy. Um, Maybe it was lust at first sight. At least for me, it was. I know that. Yeah. But we knew each other in a small town, but but we really really did not. not. We did. She didn't run in the same circles. No. Um, So I, uh, Came from a Christian home. Uh, Mother played the piano at our small Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was um, uh, eventually a deacon in our church. And so, you know, church life was very much a a big part uh, growing up. However, I mean, it's a small, it was a very small town. So there weren't a lot of resources. It's more about what Roan is talking about. You know, it, it was more of a social, like we went to church, right? Um, we didn't always talk about or live the life at home. My dad um, had a secret and it was a big secret. Um, He was a closet drinker, uh, became an alcoholic over time. Um, My parents both had a lot of trauma, unresolved trauma in their own childhoods that they had never dealt with. Um, So I grew up in chaos as well. Um, Now for my family system, we had, we had a lot of rules, so in Roan's, as he talked about. We had none. Yeah. So I had rigid boundaries and Roan had loose boundaries. A lot of times when we work with couples, that's what we see. Um, you know, we come from uh, pretty different backgrounds many times, not always, but sometimes we do. Yeah. And so we started dating and um, then, of course, uh, sex uh, started happening pretty quickly. And um, and then uh, I you know, the second great tragedy trauma, um, in, in my life and in our lives, in ours, yeah. yeah, um, was, uh, Eva got pregnant going into our, um, freshman year at college. 
That's right. And um, ended up having an abortion um, in between this uh, summer of my senior year in high school, my freshman year in college. And this was a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our mothers did know, but no one else knew. The four of us knew, and that was it. Um, So we held that secret uh, for the next 10 years. And Roan nor I even talked, we we didn't even talk about it. Uh, I buried it so deep inside of me, but it would come out sideways, you know, with with anger, with frustration. Rage. Uh, Yes, rage. Um, However, you know, Rome was very active in his addiction, but I didn't know it. Yeah. I had no idea, but I could certainly sense things. I could see things and I would, you know, I would confront it. Uh, But there was a lot of gaslighting. So uh, I made I was made to feel pretty um, insecure. Something was wrong with me Um, when I been very much an overachiever in in high school and college and had a, played a lot of different roles uh, growing up to get a lot of needs met. So anyway. Yeah. And so we were, you know, um, in, in college, uh, I was 20 years old when I came to Christ. Uh, Jesus became very real. Um, I'd actually gotten a DUI and um, after a fraternity party, and uh, I don't know why it was so upsetting to me. I mean, uh, my middle brother by that time probably had four or five DUI. It wasn't like I was going to tarnish the family name or something, but it just it did a number on me. And Eve and I were sitting um, in the parking lot in my apartment in college about two weeks after that, and um, I was down and depressed, and she said, um, you know, I think you just need Jesus, and I said, I think I do, and my future wife, uh, her, she led me through the sinner's prayer, and uh, man, Jesus became real, and I had uh, started going to church, um, Eva you know, I would go with her. We were dating. And then my dad remarried my stepmother. Uh, she was like, not just a church goer. She was the real deal. I call her my mother. Um, now, um, I have for a long time because she really was, she just lived it out. She wasn't like beating me over the head with the Bible and she just modeled it. And so, as I said earlier, it's like God was wooing me, um, all through this chaos, and then when I came to Christ, I always say it was very real because for a 20-year-old frat boy to give up drinking, cussing, and smoking, like that's a that's a pretty big deal. I was all in. Yeah. And then yeah. we just, we didn't know what to do. We started going to church because that's what you're supposed to do. And then we got married. Um, our senior year. Our in senior college. year in college. Um, and, you know, at, uh, just all the dysfunction, the trauma that we had both experience our relationship was just up and down and lots of intensity lots of intensity (laughs) um and so we decided to fix that right and so how do you fix that well you get married that'll fix it all (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) yeah i think uh, truly we were both looking for safety Mm. right yeah makes sense yeah Mm. and of course that was going to fix my porn problem and that's going to fix our fighting and intensity and all of that. Then of course uh, that didn't do anything uh, except we just got to fight more because we were together all the time. And then um, graduated from college, um, uh, went to work uh, in Mobile. We lived in kind of the Fairhope um, 
Alabama area for about five years. And then I got transferred to Nashville, Tennessee, um, and then ultimately wound up in Atlanta. Um, and really each one of those moves uh, was what I think people are familiar with. Um, we, we just, those were geographic cures. Now, Eva had no idea because we were involved in church everywhere we were. At, um, we were in Sunday school. and I mean, that's really how we met people oh, yeah. was through church. Mm-hmm. And they became our really, really good friends. Yeah, we were there. We were serving always. And um, that part was very real. I certainly wanted that life. But boy, this cancer inside of me was continuing to grow. Um, and so each of those moves were geographic cures. Uh, you know, it's like, if I can just get away from this, then I won't do this anymore. So we were both both really emotionally immature and spiritually immature. Mm. Both of us A were. Wonderful combination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and so we're in Atlanta. And uh, of course, my geographic cures, you know, they would last about a week and a half at each one of those new stops. And um, we'd been there, I think, about a year, maybe. Um, and we were just having a conversation. I don't think we were fighting. No, we weren't. Uh, no. And um, I just asked Grown. Um, he seemed really down. Um, and so just asking, you know, what's going on? You seem you seem really down. And just came out of his mouth, Eva. I have a problem with pornography. Wow. Yeah, and when those words came out of my mouth, I literally remember kind of <laughs> looking behind me going, who said that? Because there was no way I was wow. going to tell her that. Wow. I think I just came out. Think, oh, it did just, it was God. I mean, it, honestly, I, there's no way I was going to tell it because I had told her, I told you about three years prior that I had masturbated. And that, and that did not go did well. Did not go well. Did and it not was like, well. I think the submarine was trying to come up. Yeah. But boy, that, that sucker dove back down deep. I wasn't, uh, and, well, and, you know, I'm involved in church yeah. and sitting out there wanting something, some help, some something. And I just thought, of course, I was the only guy out there because not once did I ever hear a pastor talk about, um, you know, lust or, uh, I, well, yeah, it was very condemning and shaming, uh, but he never talked about struggling with lust or used to struggle with lust or thought about struggling with lust, nothing, right? Back, and this was, you know, uh, 1990 is when I admitted to Eva I had a problem with pornography. So there's no internet at this point. No. Yeah, I'd never found a uh, magazine, nothing. And we didn't even go to R-rated movies. No, no. Wow. Yeah. And, and so it's like God knew what had to happen and God moved and those words mm-hmm. came out of my mouth. I always say, <laughs> if, if, if it had been me and not God, I would have said, honey, I have a problem with geography, not mm-hmm. pornography, mm-hmm. Ge- because you know, I'm really depressed. I can't read a map. I, that's what I would have said. But boy, pornography came out of my mouth. And just based on that, they even loaded up our two little boys. They were two, two and almost four at the time. She loaded them in the car and came home to her mother, came back to mama in Mississippi. Because now what I realize today um, is that that was deception trauma. Like mm-hmm. I am running. I am sure. running away from it. Because for seven years, when I would confront things, 
you know, it was like, no way, Jose, you know, not that that's not me. That's not it. I'm not doing anything. And I'm talking what I would confront or what I would see were more like um, just eye contact or checking out other women. Mm. It was that. Right. And, you know, it, I was made to feel crazy, mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. which many partners go through that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, real, real quick on that. Yeah. Deception trauma. We haven't had too many people talk about deception trauma. We talk about betrayal trauma all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it falls under betrayal trauma. And is it, uh, a, is it a, I mean, it sounds, we have, we work with a lot of couples who have that same thing. They just don't know when he's not lying and all oh, the yeah. lies have created just as much trauma as the betrayal. Right. Now it's like 10, now it's even three years, four years of sobriety, but he, yeah. she still is convinced he's lying because oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah. the deception trauma. Would that be a result of that kind of a trauma and things like that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just along those lines, you know, one of the things that that I talk about that you certainly don't hear about is um, I call it discovery trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's on our side of the fence as the addict or the one acting out, because just like for me, I was I was taking this to my grave. I don't want anybody to know, you know, the shame and all of that. And so when that came out, it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I had my own trauma around that. And, you know, we hear about partner trauma and betrayal trauma, which is certainly very real, but on our side of the fence, yeah. you know, what happens now is like now you've got two completely emotionally dysregulated mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, us on the addict side of the fence, you know, what we were using in order to deal with our negative emotions, numb, medicate, um, all of that. Now that that's gone. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I never learned how to regulate emotion. And so now I'm just completely emotionally dysregulated. And so is my wife. Yes. Yeah. And so you just got trauma all over the place. That's yeah. why it's so intense. And that's why it's so much, there's so much chaos yeah. because I, yeah. I had no ability to kind of help her. How would I do that? Mm-hmm. And that's why we talk about it. it's so important to get engaged, plugged in to individual support groups yeah. with others that are further down the road. Yes, we're going to heal in yeah. community with other people. With It helped me greatly to be in community with other women where they really got me. They understood mm-hmm. what was going through, what I was going through. And the same for Roan. Now, all... Uh, Finally, we could come back together and we became one another's healing agents. Mm. That took a, that took sure. a minute sure. there. Yeah. You know, I love you yeah. say that because we talk about that a lot. I mean, Sharon and I talk about, you know, whether it's all kinds of analogies that are out there, the car accident or, you know, oh, yeah. people in the emergency room. But I just, to get to a uh, clinical definition is what you're going there with, Rowan, and that is, and you can do that, and I can't, which is great. So I'm grateful that you're here because I'm not a clinician. I always, always <laughs> want to say that disclosure out there, um, yeah. right? But you're talking about understanding that both people are traumatized, and yes. that's going to be a journey because I mm. think there is a lot of. I'm so grateful for the help that is emerging with the spouses. I mean, oh, yes. there are so many great things that are coming, they, and they still need more. Charity still felt lost when it happened, and I think now, now six years later, there is more help, but. And not, but, and I think we can still do more for the guys instead of it being behavior modification, oh, understanding yeah. what trauma is underneath the addiction. Some would go so far to say that every addiction 
is trauma-based. Absolutely. We, we, we certainly agree we with agree that. We agree with that. And with, yeah. if that's the case, then us as guys have to go a lot deeper than the behavior. That's what I hear you mm-hmm. saying. That's right. 100%. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And, and so just kind of back to the story, you know, Eve and I, um, she comes back from Mississippi and of course there's a whole lot more. It's just the escalation of the, you know, I call it, you know, mine was classic sexual addiction. We, we kind of differentiate our umbrella term that we like and what we use is sexual brokenness um, because I believe, we believe that, you know, the whole world today uh, is just completely upside down and yeah. backwards and sexually broken. Yep. And even with Christians, um, I mean, if, if we think we're not being infected by this virus, um, we need to wake up because we are just living in the culture. And so sexual brokenness is kind of our umbrella term. And then we begin to break it down. You know, I mine was what I call classic sexual addiction. Uh, starts with masturbation, porn, sex with girls, and then escalating um, behaviors uh, from, you know, strip joints, massage parlors, and then, you know, prostitutes. Um, and that's kind of the just the classic um, model of what, what we've traditionally called sex addiction. And then there's also porn addiction, which is different because it has not escalated to crossing physical flesh lines. Um, and there's nuances there. And, and then there's you know, we, this list that we work with, you know, it's like sex and love addiction, love and relationship addiction, same sex attraction, uh, sexual confusion, sexual molestation, sexual abuse. I mean, this list of sexual brokenness is just about everybody, you know, breathing air and um, drinking water today. Mm -hmm. It's real. And, and so we just, you know, one of our things that uh, one of our mentors was Dr. Doug Rosenau, who actually passed away on mm-hmm. Palm Sunday. Um, he was our long-term counselor. Long-time counselor mm-hmm. and uh, certainly friend and became our teacher and trainer and all that. But Doug would always tell us, um, it, well, anybody he trained, he would say that, you know, you're going to be sexual wholeness missionaries to the church. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a prophecy that's fulfilled. Um, but I think, the, you know, it's just the church is broken sexually in a, in different ways than the culture is, but it's still very broken. And because healthy sexuality is not talked about and, and it's, it's just broken in the way that it is broken. Um, like the culture that's broken as well. So we wind up, um, I did what we call now the dribble method of disclosure, kind of the kitchen table disclosure, which we do not recommend. But at that time, nobody, you know, we're just like Eva's. I'm ready. I'm asking a lot of questions and, I'm, I'm, and, and he's I'm, ready to I'm, tell I'm, it all. I'm, He'd already told yeah. um, our Sunday school teachers. So they knew actually before I did. And I think that helped him mm-hmm. begin to go, okay, I've got to tell her. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we weren't under the supervision of a therapist. And so it really just, it would re-traumatize me every mm-hmm. time to learn something new. And, and so that is disclosure trauma. Yeah. And, and so we did that and tried to go to counseling. I mean, our, I, I was engaged because I wanted freedom and I wanted recovery. And I found uh, 
you know, went to a Christian counselor and then he referred me to Doug Rosna, who at that time probably was one of the best people in the country. Uh, Doug didn't necessarily work with sexual addiction, but he worked um, just with, you know, healthy sexuality and certainly very knowledgeable. And then I got plugged in very quickly to a uh, Christ-centered, one of the first ones in the country, uh, Christ-centered recovery and support group ministry, very fortunate. Um, And then our counseling was... um, Two years of not much happening, um, and then we actually decided um, that divorce was the option. Yes, it would have been helpful for me to hear, gosh, Eva, what you are experiencing is betrayal trauma. You can heal from this. I just got really hopeless. I did not understand what was going on with me. My brain was all over the place. Lots of intrusive thoughts, lots of anger, lots and lots and lots of fear. And I thought, I can, I will not survive this. I want to ask you a um, question there. Sure. So you both were in counseling for two years. And it mm-hmm. felt like after two years of counseling, this still isn't going to work. We're going to now get divorced. If you look back now as counselors, what do you think was going on? Was it just that the counselor was not educated on betrayal trauma? Was it what, was it something for you guys? Did you not show up authentically in those meetings? What, what if you can go back and a couple is in your same shoes right now? They're in oh, therapy. Yeah. They've been in counseling for two years. They are just losing hope. What would you right. What would you ask them? I would say I would, you know, the couple needs a lot of direction. We needed task. We needed to understand what had happened to us, you know, what had set us up uh, to even be married to one another. What was it? Um, You know, and so that did not, that didn't happen. And I understand that in that because there was so much intensity and so much, gosh, trauma, uh, it was complex trauma. I had grown up in an uh, alcoholic home. I had gone through an abortion. And now my husband is telling me he he has a sex addiction. At this time, my father was not in recovery. He was still in his addiction. So I had not seen someone live a life of sobriety. And I just got really, really hopeless. Mm. Um, even though I, I will say Ron's actions were really good. He didn't all, he didn't respond well to, to my trauma at all. Uh, he would yeah. get defensive and all the things that made it so much worse. So we just really needed tasks. We needed direction. We need somebody to say, Hey, you know what, this, we do have a roadmap. We're going to go through each step along the way. And then let's see where you guys are. Yeah, and I think what Eva's alluding to there, you know, um, just like with her, um, it was complex trauma. Um, you know, women that have abortion somewhere, it's it's around, it's in the 80 percentile of, you know, they suffer from full-blown uh, PTSD. Now, we didn't know any of this, right? But she had that going on, and then alcoholic father and you know, uh, our counselor would ask her about that and she would be like, well, I've dealt with all that. He's the problem. Fix him. Mm. And then um, I really did think I had. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I really did. Mm. Yeah. And and so Which I hadn't told anybody any of it. So yeah. <laughs> I really had not processed any of it. And so we always say, you know, sitting on this side of the fence, uh, sitting in the chair, not in the couch. 
um, when that's in front of us, you just probably not going to get anywhere with the, in the coupleship mm-hmm. until that other, I mean, it, it takes two people that are willing to, um, you know, do the work and uh, it, it, that's got to happen. And so we wound up and uh, we got divorced and I, we, I don't know, we always say we don't understand God's plan and timing, um, but it was during the divorce um, where. Yeah. So you went, it gave me space, honestly, yeah. where my brain could calm down. Uh, uh, for the first time I was on my own with two small children, uh, I stayed in Atlanta and worked full time and began to do my own work. The first thing I did was go to an uh, adult children of alcoholics, ACOA group. And in there, I, they gave me the laundry, 10, I think it's 10 things. 14, 14, 14 characteristics. Yes, of an adult child of an alcoholic. And I I connected with all 14 wow. of those. Um, and then I got back into my, to individual therapy. I had not done any individual therapy ever. And in that was able to, and we talk about this in the book, because I think it's so important that I could see the facts, the impact that it had on me and the track that it set me on. It made sense to me why I had married Roan, right? There was something about him that was familiar to me. Um, I didn't know. I had no idea. So mm. once I could, I understood that about me. Um, I was open. I could see my own brokenness and I was open to reconciliation at that point. Yeah. We, we talk about Eva had her grace awakening during the divorce. Mm. Right. Um, and then that opened the door and we began talking and, um, and then we reconciled, uh, remarried. We were apart uh, for about a total of a year, a little over. Um, and then we, we remarried with the commitment um, that we were both going to be doing our work. So when we see the kind of intensity that Ron and I had, um, many times a couple will choose to do a therapeutic separation, sure. uh, maybe within the home. Or, or maybe in a safe place uh, with a family member or a, a, a friend, you know, where they just to get some space. Uh, you know, I, I hate that it took divorce, but that is what it took for me. Mm-hmm. I wish I had yeah. other options. Well, it, it, it is what it is. You know, it's kind it of sounds gone. like you guys have a, uh, I, under, I underlined this in your book. I wasn't sure if it was something that you guys wrote, or if you're quoting somebody, but you say you must collect the dots before you can connect the dots in order to correct the dots. That's right. Oh, yeah. Did you guys write that? Is that you guys? No, uh, I think I give credit in there. I hope I do. Uh, Jim Cress, who wrote the board to the book. Um, Jim's one of our dear friends. And uh, yeah, you know, I always say as counselors, we all have the spiritual gift of plagiarism. Um, Most of us (laughs) just steal stuff from other therapists. No, no, you gave him credit. I just didn't write that part down. But what but what you did then is you took that the quote or the advice that Jim Crest says, and, and we're getting a picture right now of what that looked like. And it took separation for you guys to have that space to even collect those dots. And I think so many of us are wondering why we're not moving forward, maybe in our own relationship or in our own addiction or in our trauma. And I think what I hear you saying, if correct me if I'm wrong, but there might be other things besides this issue of betrayal and sexual addiction going on that is inhibiting us from moving forward in healing. Is that right? Oh, yeah. 
we, we talk about the four C's. Um, it's like for me, I mean, Eva did not, she didn't cause it. She certainly could not control it. She certainly could not change it. Those three, those are on me, right? That's, that's my yeah. part in my journey. And then in the relationship, the fourth C is we talk about contribution. Mm. It, it, what, how, what was the contribution to the relational dynamics? And, and again, it's not, it, it's no blame of the partner, but, but certainly it's a relationship and there are dynamics in the relationship that, that like we want to go medicate the, the hurt, the pain, the, all the mm. stuff that we're yeah. doing um, in the addiction. And so the, the contribution is, and we don't begin to talk about that until we work a lot in comforting the hurt of the betrayal, the betrayal trauma. But at some point in order to move forward with the couple, you've, we've got to begin to look at the contribution to the relational dynamics, which is what we simply call the intimacy disorder that was present before way, you know, that was present when we walked down the aisle because that stuff was packed in our, you know, suitcases, our our baggage yeah. uh, when we got on the marriage train. And so we're moving towards working with the intimacy disorder and movement from false intimacy to true intimacy in the marriage that God intended um, what he wanted for all of us. Yeah. So you guys, sorry, did you want to say something? I just keep talking. I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, Charity hasn't talked. And I just keep taking over. Do you want to- <laughs> well, I, if you have like a certain <laughs> thought or question, I don't want to like, you know, I, I I'm just so that. into the story that yeah. I'm here. just I'll listening. And then you got questions. So go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to make sure I, I give you room there to say anything. Yes, it's or good. forever hold your peace. No, but. <laughs> <All right. laughs> We know we do like little, we know we do like little taps on our knees or you know I have to say I've already, gotten, I've already I've already gotten a oh yeah of oh yeah we have, we have like you know there's code you know you guys know how it goes you get codes we know. We know. Yeah. especially when you speak and work together and all this fun stuff oh man you know I've, I've really enjoyed your story it makes sense why charity's so into your story your story is gripping I mean so many people I, I assume are just and I can believe are just listening to this right now mm-hmm. and they're going wow they're, they're taking some they're notes. connecting the dots oh. Wow, mm-hmm. there you go, and uh, and so for you guys, you come back together, and you start doing a lot of what you wrote in your book. I feel like your first five chapters of your book, maybe I mean I don't want to get it wrong, five or six chapters are all about these, these stages you guys just talked about: understanding each other, what does it look like, what's going on, what is a real disclosure, what are some practical steps to moving forward, understanding your background. And then you start making a transition in your book from that into how do you start rebuilding safety and how do you start communicating effectively and how do you start rebuilding intimacy and connection? If we could go there for a little bit, just for the sake Mm -hmm. of time on the podcast, how did you guys start that? And what do you guys recommend to couples that want to, that feel like, you know, there's, we're starting to go that route. There's, we're out of the, we've worked on our trauma now a little bit. There's some healing individually. Now I want to start healing together. What does that look like? Right. And so really safety begins on day one. Mm -hmm. When a couple comes in, we're starting on safety right then. Mm. Uh, You know, for the, for the addict, the one who's betrayed or the, the one who's betrayed, um, you know, there's things that he, he or she needs to do to begin to rebuild trust and to help keep him sober, him or her sober. Right. 
Um, and yeah, then we, we even go, go so far as to say is like, you know, really quit, just quit, quit talking about trust. Right. Cause it's like, when are you gonna, ever going to trust me again? Mm, no, you lose that language. I tell the guys <laughs> that I work with, it's like your number one job is to begin to create safety uh, because safety is the building block of trust. And when she begins to feel safe, she'll let you know, and then she will begin to trust uh, when she's ready. Even the Hebrew word, you know, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, the Hebrew word for trust there literally means safety and security. And so that's the foundational building block. And and for me as a man, because, you know, us men, this stuff is, you know, we're, we're, we're just mostly fancy dirt, I think. You know, uh, Eve was the first fully human being. And so for us men kind of understanding this stuff, uh, I try to keep it simple, right? And so the idea of creating safety for me as a man is a whole lot easier than like some esoteric, um, you know, term of trust, because to create safety, there's very practical things that, that I can do in order to where she's actually seeing me do things, then she begins to feel safe. And if I'm consistent over time, we always say it's consistent action, action over time and, and safety will begin to happen. And then trust will be restored, mm-hmm. but it's a long process. It is a long process. Give some examples of, say, of, of how a, a husband can create safety. Yeah, you don't yeah, have to give us I, all three, but maybe give us one or two of those three things. You yeah, know, one or two. yeah, I mean, I tell guys, you know, it's like one of the simple thing is like, you know, find a group, uh, just start showing up at a group and be consistent in showing up and going to your group and specifically a group dealing with sexual brokenness. Um, um, because you've got to have other guys that get this and other guys that are further down the road and can help point you in the right direction. And so it needs to be that type of group of men. Um, and then, um, you know, being consistent and certainly just, um, uh, quiet time, uh, scripture reading, uh, and reading a lot of other things, uh, good material around, um, recovery and, you know, uh, rebuilding trust. There's a, you know, today, thank goodness, there's a lot of great things out there. And then meeting with guys outside of group, you know, I'm, I'm going to lunch with this guy. I'm, you know, doing this with these guys, um, where I'm really beginning to live, in true community and authentic brotherhood with other men that are all moving in the same direction. And those are pretty simple, practical things that, you know, uh, she sees you doing it and it really begins to work. And then for the partner, uh, for her to have her own boundaries, Mm. you know, this is, you know, for her to set, have, and I I use a template, um, then it's in the book. Uh, and let and so she'll take the template and make it her own. Mm. Uh, if this happens, if you choose to do this, this is the emotional impact that it has on me, and this is what I'll choose to do. Mm. If you choose, 
your old ways. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, for the partner to have her, what are her deal breakers? Mm. Um, so, and that sometimes that's a, you know, it takes a, lo- a while for a partner to be ready to put all that on paper. Mm. But when she does, it actually empowers her mm. to go, okay, this is my plan. I don't have to, I don't have to threaten. I don't have to give ultimatums. This is how I'm going to create safety for myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. Those yeah. are so good. I love um, some of the things you guys shared. And, and specifically, I, I believe that consistency breeds safety. And if you just see it over and over again, it may not seem to the man that they're making waves, but to the wife, he, they are. You know, mm-hmm. consistency totally breeds safety when you see them consistently going to the group, reading the book, um, because it just, there's no uncertainty and uncertainty is like, I don't know if I'm safe. So right. I love that you guys said that. And it gives right. just practical little tools and tips for even men to be like, okay, I don't need to go like become a superhero and save the world for her, you know, but I can go to group. I can read the Bible in the morning and, and because they're already going through so much and they're already dedicated to so many different things in their own healing journey that I love that you guys are just giving them simple little to do's mm-hmm. that will just be another building block to their relationship. Oh yeah. Yeah. I call it the, you know, the cat formula It's like C A over T right. Consistent action over time. It's mm. good. It's it's just it's pretty simple because you know I like why would why would she believe the words that you speak? Mm-hmm. Really, she should not believe the words, um, and but why that would be kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's got to see action. Mm-hmm. So, and I like the idea for the partner that using the analogy of a football stadium, she is up in the stands and she's watching. Uh, her man, her husband, he's on the, on the field and he's playing the game. Right. And uh, he's got a team, which is his, his support group. And he has a coach, which is his therapist. Mm. And he may come over to the sidelines and say, Hey, will you do a Thanos with me? Mm. She could come down out of the stands, do a Thanos with, with him, but go back up in the stands. She is for a while. She is really watching right? Can I really trust this? Mm. Is this real yeah. or or is this manipulation? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, good. so good. Um, Some of our audience may not know what you just said. They may be thinking that you're talking about Marvel, um, Thanos. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we have a funny story about that in our group. So um, that's why I can make that joke. Um, but can, can you... Educate us and no, it's too long. Can you educate us and let us know um, what what did you just say? What is what is, what is Thanos? Thanos? It's not Thanos. Thanos. It's Thanos. Yeah, there Thanos, you go. Right, yeah. starting with an F. So <laughs> it's an acronym. An F stands for feelings. A is an affirmation. N or needs. O is ownership. S is is spirituality and sobriety. So it's a way to check in in the couples. They go back and forth. Hey, today I'm feeling this. The only response that each other can have is thanks for letting me know that or thanks Mm -hmm. for sharing. There are no questions in Thanos. In healthy relationships, the questions lower and the sharing increases. 
right? So good. Becoming really fully known yeah. by the by one another. Uh, a is an affirmation in our, like I said, needs. Healthy people ask for what they need. So each person in the relationship is going to ask for a need. This can be a, a practical need, a physical need, or an emotional need. Uh, a practical need may be, hey, I need us to look at the finances. Uh, uh, a physical need may be, I need a hug. We keep sex out of Thanos, mm. but you can certainly ask for a non-sexual touch. Mm. Uh, and then emotional need. Hey, I just need reassurance. I need to hear that you love me. Then we each take ownership and then we check in with how we have experienced God today in the last 24 hours. Um, and then we check in, in with sobriety. Where are we in our sobriety? You know, for me as a partner, I also check in with sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, even today I do, um, where, because my, my tendency has been to make Roan my drug of choice, mm. right? The relate, not Roan as a person, it's more the relationship. Yeah, because I'm a terrible drug. There's much better <laughs> drugs out there. I always remind you of that. <laughs> so I check that in, like, you know, because I like the analogy, uh, in, in our relationship in the beginning, Roan was my cake, mm. Right. And my work, my hobbies were my icing mm-hmm. and God was just the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all flipped. God mm-hmm. is now my cake, my career, my friends, all my hobbies. That's my icing mm-hmm. and Ron's just the cherry on top. <laughs> he brings lots of, I love Ron dearly mm-hmm. and I enjoy the cherry on top. However, I don't have to have the cherry Mm. to live a, a fulfilling life. Very good. So good. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Well, you guys, oh my goodness, there's so much more we could have talked about. I had so many more questions for you guys. I hope everybody goes and buys your book yes. quickly. I mean, what an inexpensive way to get plugged into so much wisdom and yeah. insight yeah. and just a very easy way, in my opinion. You guys make it easy for people to grow with that new book you've produced. Yes. You guys offer so many more things and you started a podcast. Tell us all about what you guys have created for people that are listening to this that want to get plugged in and learn more. Yeah. Our uh, website that we direct people to is uh, it's just, it's sexgodchaos.com. Um, and then we've, we've got info there on our book um, and then other resources, uh, some of our other podcasts that we've done. And then um, we just started our uh, own podcast, which hopefully you guys are going to be guests on it. Um, uh, it's called the Sex, God, and Chaos Podcast. Um, and uh, we just yeah got a lot, a lot of other things going on. Uh, we do couples intensives. Uh, couples come from all over. Um, my son and I, uh, he works with us, and he's a CSAT therapist as well. Wow. He and I do men's intensives, clinical intensives. Um, Eva does women's intensives and partner uh, workshops and trauma workshops. Trauma workshops, mm-hmm. and um, and we do couples intensives. I think I said that, but yeah, it's we need um, we need a couple of clones. I think we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just fun. We love what we do. Yeah, we do. We've never worked harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! Thank you guys so much, and we are so grateful for you guys because yeah, like you said, we need clones, and um, mm-hmm. you know, people who are listening to this. I believe that they feel alone, 
but I hope after hearing your story, they know that they're not alone. And they, there's so many other individuals who are going through very, very similar situations and stories like you guys have shared today. Mm-hmm. Is there any closing thoughts that you guys would like to just encourage our listeners with before we close out today? I'm going to keep it really simple. Connection is the cure. Mm. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. You guys Well, thank you so much for being with us. We're so grateful and uh, just keep rocking what you guys are doing, man. You're creating some incredible resources for people. And I hope if you're listening to this, you guys get plugged in. That book is incredible. Uh, Charity and I really just couldn't agree more with everything written in it. And so mm-hmm. it's been really awesome to read that and learn from it ourselves mm-hmm. as well as recommend it here in other places. So yep. thanks again, you guys. Thank you, Ron and Eva, for being with us. We appreciate you guys. Thank thanks you for all. having us. Thank you. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website, 